L. Russ, author of the Paleothyroid Solution, took control of her health and resolved two severe bouts of hypothyroidism. And using a radically modified nutrition approach, went from fat, foggy and fatigued to fit, focused and full of life. Here's her story. Good morning, Elle, and uh, welcome to the Local Paleo Show. Good morning. Glad to be here. It's our pleasure. Good morning, Mark. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. Wonderful. Pleased to be here, too. And I trust you are both wonderfully well as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. I am. I am. So, Elle, you are a writer, a life and health coach, and the host of the Primal Blueprint podcast. You recently published a Paleothyroid Solution. And I understand your path to healing has been a long and arduous one. Can you give us a short version of your struggles? Yeah. Well, it's uh, I'll give you as abbreviated as I can, but long story short is that I was following conventional wisdom, what I thought was the right way to eat, which, you know, uh, 15 years ago, people were all about the eat every two, three hours, you know, have the three meals and, you know, two snacks and always keep your insulin steady. And, you know, it was kind of a low fat, low carb paradigm, which doesn't really work well. We know that now. Um, In that process, though, I thought that I had achieved this body that, you know, was so great. And I was an actor. I still am in Hollywood. And um, an ingenue at the time, that's what you have to do. You have to train like an athlete. And, you know, you are expected to have a certain physique. The problem was is that I achieved that, but I was achieving it through the wrong paradigm. And as a result of that, not only gave myself hypothyroidism, which people can do, um, but I also really... I was a food addict beyond food addict in terms of food obsessions. I had horrible hypoglycemia. I had sugar drops all the time. I felt as though I ate like this. I got this body. Therefore, I guess everybody has to struggle this way in order to get this body. And that the people who have this body who aren't complaining are either hiding it or there's something wrong with me that I have a problem. Um, I was ready at one point to go to Overeaters Anonymous. I couldn't stop thinking about food. When you're a food addict or a sugar burner, which really makes you a food addict, and you're thinking about it all the time, it is a horrific place to be. It is, it's like being in prison. And until I went low-carb paleo, it really wasn't until all of those went away and I was satiated for the first time in my life and couldn't believe that I didn't even think about food anymore and I still rarely do. So so what happened was is during that time I really um I overworked out. So I was doing chronic cardio, which um, you know, Mark Sisson always talks about, which is really going hard over seventy five percent of your max heart rate often and being in a sugar burning zone. So I was over-exercising and essentially I was starving myself without knowing it because when you're eating in that low-fat, low-carb paradigm, you're going to lose. You're not going to be satiated. The adrenals are going to over-respond. So that is a soup that really messes up the thyroid for a variety of reasons. Um, most of the time, that kind of form of hypothyroidism is called euthyroid sick syndrome, where which is really starvation. Um, and so... If I was starving <laughs> on this paradigm that everybody was following and was supposedly the way to do it, um, I ended up getting into a lot of trouble. And it took a long time to get out of it um, and and be, get healed. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I understand from your interview with um, um, Rob Walsh that uh, he has struggled through multiple um, conventional doctors and finally you had to go and look for your own uh, solutions 
and yeah. you explain a little bit and sure. you can say you can say all you want against doctor regular doctors i know there's good people out there but sure. a lot of them don't uh, seem to be updated on what's going on these days with uh, health and nutrition yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, you know, on the cover of my book, it's why I say stop feeling fat, foggy, and fatigued at the hands of uninformed doctors. There's too many uninformed doctors out there that are following 30, 40 year old outdated thyroid protocols and wisdom. And it is the same and totally synonymous with someone telling me today, let's say later today, someone tells me that I should really be careful about eating saturated fat or steak because it's going to give me heart disease. And I'd laugh in their face and tell them that they need to go do some research. So that it's the same thing in the thyroid community. You have doctors that learn what they learned 30, 40 years ago. Their egos are entrenched in the fact that I went to Harvard. I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my education. How could I have not learned all that I needed to know? Mm-hmm. Not only that, I don't even know if I'm willing to admit to a patient that I don't know what I know. So I'm going yeah. to my ego and I'm going to patronize this patient and just move them through. And that's what happens. So Unfortunately, the bigger percentage of doctors in this country are uninformed. This is an easily solvable, 100% fixable problem. Mm. The issue is is that people are using outdated uh, diagnostic tools to not only diagnose hypothyroidism, 60% of people remain undiagnosed. Just to give you an idea of how huge of an epidemic thyroid issues are, we are looking at 200 million people worldwide, 25 million or so more Americans, and the top-rated prescription in, in the entire America <laughs> is a thyroid hormone called Synthroid. Um, so right. it's a huge epidemic. So what happens is, is not only are they not diagnosing the person correctly, so they're misdiagnosing them or not diagnosing them at all, then the problem also comes in treatment. They are behind the times with that. And it's not just treatment. You can give anybody thyroid hormones, but then are those thyroid hormones going to be processed, metabolized, and synthesized correctly in the body? That's where a lot of doctors fail as well because they don't understand all of the tangential underlying, the underlying positive soup that has to be there in order for this to work anyway. So as a result, there's a lot of people out there maybe even listening, that have been on thyroid hormone, maybe for even 20 years, and still don't feel right. And their doctors keep saying, hey, not your thyroid, guess we can try Prozac. Hey, not your thyroid, maybe you should just go work out more and eat less, maybe you have a closet eating disorder, which mm-hmm. lots of uh, patients are blamed. So this is a huge problem. And mm-hmm. um, I, because of that, and I live in Los Angeles, I, I went through and talked with or corresponded with, I saw about 25 doctors corresponded with probably about 50, and no one would help me. And no one knew how to help me or they hurt me. And at one point I said, that's it. I've had enough. I was absolutely falling apart, completely slowly dying um, at the age of 30. And I, uh, I said, that's it. I've had enough. And I actually, the, the, what really saved my life was speaking with fellow patients like me who had been through this before and knew how to say, hey, you need to get that tested. You need to look out for this. This is where you should, this is what you should look into. And I actually solved two serious bouts of hypothyroidism in a decade on my own without the help of a doctor, completely on my own. Mm, I shouldn't have had to do that. That's why I wrote the book. I shouldn't have had to do that at all. Maybe we we should step back a little bit. Can you explain to uh, people out there that might have the the problem, but they're not sure what is hypothyroidism and how do you know you have it? Uh, I guess you need tests and so on, but from your point of view? Sure. Um, Well, I guess the most important thing to start that conversation out on is to tell you about the thyroid, what it does, how important it is. So the thyroid is the master gland of the entire human body. So 
it's one in a gajillion that someone would be born with a birth defect where they would not have a thyroid. Okay. But in that case, they'd have to get thyroid hormones immediately or they're dead on arrival. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're a human being and you're listening to this or watching this and you have no thyroid gland, that's because it was surgically removed and they, you are probably taking thyroid hormone replacement because again, you will die without thyroid hormones. End of story, period. It is the master gland is in charge of the production and regulation of all of your sex hormones, your body temperature, your fat burning abilities, uh, your brain function, your heart function, your pulse, your blood pressure, everything in the body stems right from this little gland right here. So if you can, if you're going to die without a thyroid gland, what do you think is going to happen to you when you have subpar or suboptimal levels of thyroid hormones, you're going to die a very slow death. It's going to be riddled with a bunch of diseases. Like mm -hmm. I was misdiagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome along the way and some other things. So you were, you are bound to get a disease you otherwise would not have gotten because you were in this hypothyroid state. So what does that mean? As humans, we all have this built in sort of temperature gauge, and that's really coming from our thyroid. We're all about 98.6 degrees. This is, this is how humans are, of course, uh, maybe 98.4, maybe 98.6, but we're roughly, we all have the same average temp when we wake and when we sleep. This is, you know, regulated by our thyroid and lots of other things. So when you are hypothyroid, you have low levels, meaning everything slows down. So you get cold, really cold. When I was severely hypothyroid, I never reached over 96 degrees the entire day. So you're freezing even when it's 90 degrees outside hands and cold freezing all the time when other people aren't or just freezing all the time is, is a really big symptom. Um, the other thing that it does is since it slows everything down, it slows down the production of hydrochloric acid that then you cannot break down food, then you can't absorb nutrients. Now I'm deficient. Now I'm deficient in D. Now I'm deficient in iron. Now my B12 is ruined. Oh, and now that everything's lowering, I'm constipated as well. Okay, so that's going to happen. Everything slows to a sludge. And your body does, the reason we have this temperature, too cold, too hot, it's like a Goldilocks situation. We have enzymes and factors and bacteria in our bodies that need to be at this, this sort of temperature range. Now, if you're hyperthyroid and you have an overactive thyroid, that's the opposite. Often those people have trouble gaining weight. They're often very skinny. They have bulging eyes. They have a horrifically high heart rate, and it's quite dangerous because they could have a heart attack. Um, it, it's, it's more dangerous and immediate for someone with hyperthyroidism. It's, it's a rarer situation, but because of what it can do to the heart, it, it, that could be a really bad situation for a lot of people. Hypothyroidism is still a horrible situation, but it's going to take a little bit more time before someone dies from that. But it's going to happen and it will usually be not from hypothyroidism itself. It will be from something you got while you were in a hypothyroid state. So for example, people come to the doctor claiming of depression. Their doctors are like, well, it's not, you know, they look at the thyroid. They're like, oh, it's totally fine because they're not doing the right tests. And then they give the patient Prozac. It'll last about three months and then it won't work anymore because you never actually solved the actual problem. Same with cholesterol labs. People who are hypothyroid, again, slow, sludge, not being able to break down, not being able to actually have a metabolism. There is no wood on the fire. So in those scenarios, now you are not, not only getting the proper nutrients, now you're getting really fat and you're also getting insulin resistant. And so it's a, it's a total disaster. And if it can be caught early, if more doctors just knew what they were doing and more patients knew better than to just take whatever their doctor says is truth, mm -hmm. that's, that's really the important thing because I did that too. 
I went suffering for two years because I didn't ask any questions about, well, why is this happening? What's causing this to happen to me? I just trusted the doctor and they gave me Band-Aids and birth control pills and all sorts of things to mask symptoms that were caused by something that they were testing incorrectly and kept telling me I was fine. And this happens to a lot of patients. Um, I'd love to go back to that doctor and give him my invoice for surgeries and other things that his poor malpractice shitty doctoring uh, did to me. But you know what? Mm -hmm. Such is the case of most doctors. So people need to step out of their comfort zone. You need to step up, do your own research. If you are diagnosed with a disease, learn about it. Right. The thing is the system uh, actually makes you feel guilty about questioning your doctor because- That's right. He knows everything. He's the godlike figure, right? And mm -hmm. God forbid we're questioning or her. Well, and that's a mistake people make. And also, too, when you're hypothyroid, you are often very depressed because you need thyroid hormones for your brain functioning and everything else. You can't think straight. You're often overwhelmed and emotional because now you have adrenal fatigue because you're not getting any energy from your thyroid hormones that are not there. So now your adrenal glands are taking over and overproducing cortisol. Now you're an extra frazzled, overwhelmed mess. And so it's even easier to be patronized and just start bawling, crying in a doctor's office. I had a doctor when I was severely hypothyroid, I asked him to test my B12. He laughed at me in my face, like mm. as if an older brother, you know, just like, you're ridiculous kind of thing. Mm. And I just started crying. And I said, you know what? I have a PPO. I'm asking you to take this test. So take the test. Well, it mm. turns out I had a severe B12 deficiency. Mm. Who's the joke on there? Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. F that guy, right? He's yeah. hurting people. So, so this happens to a lot of patients and it's important that, you know, if you're getting patronized by a doctor or they're dismissing you, you better run. Because I have, um, and I put some of the examples in my book of where doctors have literally just right in, I've no, no, no bones about it, just pretty much borderline malpractice. Um, you know, I asked one doctor to take a test for a patient. She dismissed me and said, oh, psh, that, that test is old school. I said, actually, no, it's not, because I just went through a very serious problem, and I really want you to test this for the patient. And her next response was, oh, well, fine, but I don't know how to evaluate it. And I said, did mm -hmm. you just patronize me for asking you to take a test of which now you are admitting you do not even know what it is? Yeah. Do you see the level of insanity there? That is yeah. horrific. That's an endocrinologist, and you're going to get that with endocrinologists. And I want to say this, even though there's some good ones out there, endocrinologists are classically the worst doctors to go to, to for thyroid health, <laughs> and everyone thinks they're the best doctors to go to because endocrine is in the name, and they should really be specializing in that. They, uh, they really, more often than not, are the most uninformed. So mm -hmm. if there's any wisdom I can impart on your audience, it's that, and to get yourself into a functional integrative md who's going to spend an hour with you not your 15 minutes with your hmo yeah right right so um for people that are borderline uh, how what is the prevention what can they do to avoid becoming hypothyroidism sure there's there's so many um well, there's various protocols on my book. First of all, it's, okay, let's say you're sluggish thyroid or you think you have a problem or you know you do and you want to avoid going on thyroid hormone and you want to try to fix it naturally. The best way to do that is to adopt a paleo primal paradigm first and foremost, as far as the food paradigm goes and as far as getting fat adapted goes. 
Then the other element is lifestyle. If you're overexercising, you got to take it down. And there's a lot of hypo patients who do overexercise because imagine you keep getting fat. You can't do anything about it. It's a natural instinct to want to try to get ahead of that. So, you know, every day you work out, you're, you're two steps backward, but at least you're not five. But what that does is it really hurts the patient on the, on the path to wellness. And it's a, it's a very big blunder. And unfortunately, it's something I have to coach a lot of people on not doing, which is while you're going through this healing process and you've gained weight from being hypo, the worst thing you can do is try to exercise it off because it will backfire and make you fatter. The best thing to do is to chill out and live a real primal kind of lifestyle in terms of exercise along with getting fat adapted. And then there's a couple of really key things. Um, B12 and is really important and it should be between like 800 and 1,000. Um, most people are deficient. Uh, ferritin is iron storage. It should be between 50 and 100 for men and women. Most women are way under 50. That absolutely affects thyroid production. It basically, in layman's terms, if you have low iron storage, your own thyroid hormones can't get to where they need to go and affect the cells. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for if you're taking thyroid hormones. So what I'm telling you is exactly applicable for people who are already on thyroid hormone replacement, and maybe it's not working that well, or they want to try to get it to work better mm -hmm. um, and see if their diet and lifestyle is a problem. So that's another thing that needs to be handled. So if your ferritin is under 50, you need to look into iron supplementation to get that up. The other uh, component on this is vitamin D. Often hypothyroid patients are extremely low in vitamin D, especially Hashimoto's patients really need to, um, and Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disorder that affects the thyroid. And those patients really more than any need to stick to a paleo primal paradigm because grains trigger those antibodies. But um, for all it works, but especially for Hashimoto's patients, they need to be even more strict about it. The other thing is really selenium. No joke, selenium. Now, if you have good digestion and you are not hypothyroid and you're doing well and you, you can just do two Brazil nuts a day if you want. They're hard to keep pretty fresh, but that's one way to do it. I always shoot for the supplement on this one in terms of absorption. And if anyone out there, there's a lots of forms of selenium at the store and a lot of them are yeast-based, the best, most absorbable form is S-E-methyl-L-selenocysteine for anyone that uh, is interested in that. And you want to take 200 micrograms a day minimum just for keeping things healthy or avoiding a problem or in times of high stress or things like that. If you are on thyroid hormone replacement, you really need to look into taking 400 micrograms a day. If you have a serious hypothyroid problem and you really want to turn it around naturally, then you really should look into about 400 micrograms a day of selenium. So that's something that is really depleted from our soil and most people are nutrient deficient in. And it has everything to do with the synthesization and the conversion of thyroid hormones and a lot of people have issues with that so those are some things everybody can do but really it's about getting fat adapted because when you are most people have this misconception that the paleo lifestyle is eating from a particular list of foods you can still be a glucose dependent sugar burner on a list of paleo primal foods you would just eat a ton of fruit and a ton of vegetables or potatoes or whatever else it's still possible to remain in that and I think a lot of people out there have this big misconception. They don't have any idea what it means that to, to switch from a glucose sugar burner to a fat burner. Mm -hmm. And that is really important because the paleoprimal paradigm with transitioning from a sugar burner to fat burner is the ultimate in adrenal management and blood glucose management. Mm -hmm. And those two things affect thyroid beyond belief. So you're looking at a triad of things that are perfect for hypothyroidism. I'll give you a real primal ancestral example. 
I told you earlier that I essentially like overworked out and starved myself into hypothyroidism, you know, 13 years ago. And in looking back now, I see that that's what I did. Of course, I didn't know what I know now, or I would have done that then. But in this, when you go back to that situation, here's what happens. So I'm not getting enough fat because I was eating low fat, right? Also probably not getting, I mean, and I'm doing low carb. So I wasn't, I was eating low fat, low carb. Um, and still a sugar burner. And in that process, what happens is see the primal perspective of the body, your body's trying to save your life all the time. So the primal perspective is this chick is probably a running from danger, the overworking out, right? So she's running from danger and she's starving. We need to shut down her thyroid. We need to prevent her from getting pregnant, by the way, fertility and miscarriages 100% related to thyroid. So any women out there having fertility issues or miscarriage issues, it's usually thyroid. Um, so the body's gonna say, she can't afford to get pregnant right now. We're gonna lower her sex drive. We're gonna lower her inability to even carry a baby to full term. And not only that, we're gonna stop production of this fat burning, metabolism boosting T3. And we're gonna slow this down because right now we don't wanna make her hypermetabolic when she has trouble she might not get food soon you know she hasn't been getting enough lately do you see so your body's always trying to save your life and right. and so this primal paleo paradigm works perfectly with the messages because you're sending the correct messages versus the messages of overtraining and stress and all the things that in the paleo primal community we try to all put together people try to piece it out though and go oh paleo is high, high a lot of meat no it's not you know, mm -hmm. or, oh, or paleo, just, I ate from this food list, I did paleo, it didn't work for me. Then you didn't get fat adapted. You didn't actually make the transition and you didn't even understand what that is. And that's usually right. the case. people are ignorant of that. But when you do that, now you've created a perfect platform for your thyroid to thrive and your own thyroid hormones to get to where they need to go and affect the cells. For men, for example, too, let's say you're a sugar burner and you've got these up and downs every four hours and you're hypoglycemic. Every time those drops and rises come, cortisol shoots out and now you're just creating a conflict with testosterone. Your testosterone is going to go down. Again, it's the same primal perspective for a guy. This guy's, he's not getting anyone pregnant. Let's lower his sex drive. Let's lower his energy. You know, this is, this can't happen. Um, so it's, it's really makes sense once you understand what your body's trying to do. And then furthermore, once you make this change, now you are becoming more insulin sensitive with this mm. lower carb paradigm. And now you are reversing any of, I became insulin resistant. A lot of people do when they're hypothyroid. It's very hard not to. So mm. what happens is, is a lot of people get fat, right? They're miserable. Then they get on a thyroid hormone and they feel better and all their symptoms go away, except for they're like, why can't I lose the weight? And it's because they probably don't realize that they're still a sugar burner and they've, you know, become insulin resistant in that hypothyroid state. The only way to reverse that is the kind of eating, you know, and, and lifestyle paradigm paradigm that we're talking about so as as a warning to people out there um you, are you uh, saying that the what we call the sad diet the standard american diet is yeah. to blame for most cases or is it other other uh, issues that uh, interfere with the thyroid it is and uh, well it's it's a it's a big part to blame and that's how well because the sad the standard american diet food pyramid suggests six to 11 servings of grains every day. So right there for someone with Hashimoto's, they're ruined. So someone who has Hashimoto's, that's going to ruin them. But even if you didn't have Hashimoto's and you had no diseases whatsoever, six to 11 servings of grains a day, plus two to four servings of fruit is a diabetic making diet yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. It is a yeah. diabetic, a diabetic causer. And, um, 
here's the thing about that. It's it's not just that this standard American diet is so misleading and you know leads people into that, but when you become insulin resistant and type two diabetic, thyroid problems will show up. Mm. They go right. hand in hand. Mm. Often people with type two diabetes, because usually it's mismanaged, they're on insulin. That's a very difficult program if they haven't gotten everyone out there, if you don't know, you can reverse t- type two diabetes by yeah. doing protocol obviously you have to work with a doctor but you can 100 reverse it you do not have to go on insulin if you're on insulin you can get off it there is a way but so now when you're usually it's a mismanaged diabetic who's still overweight you know still doesn't understand just went on the insulin and followed their doctor that person's a prime candidate to get thyroid problems so they do go hand in hand and so a lot of hypothyroid people also too let's say you're treated you're feeling okay, you're feeling better than you did, but you're not really totally optimized. So you can be on thyroid hormone and still be hypothyroid, okay? And then you're still in that scenario where you are going to create major problems down the road is with regards to diabetes. You're more of a candidate than to get insulin resistant and type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. I, um, uh, I always have to argue with my lady friend because she's doesn't get the paleo idea and mm-hmm. you know when i put a, a a pad of grass-fed butter in my hot chocolate in the morning she goes <laughs> berserk she's like i can't believe you put so much butter and then i eat cheese and i put butter on the uh, on the on the piece of bread to make it even worse for her so she doesn't that's get great that. you do that my danish stepfather does that naturally without being paleo that's a very like deep european thing he butters the yeah. bread and then puts <laughs> cheese on it yeah but it drives her crazy because she she still not not only she won't listen to me but she still believes what the doctors tell her that fat is bad for them so can you explain the the connection between Mm-hmm. You know, that that yeah. fat, a little more healthy fat and less carbohydrate is the way to go. Can you explain right. so how that here, works? Yeah, here's the distinction that most a lot of people are confused about. But here's the distinction, really. It's back in the day when they said saturated fat leads to heart disease and clogging the arteries. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, 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 here's why that. We now know it's wrong, but here's why it was wrong. Like, how did they get that wrong then? They did all these studies. Well, they were, it was the context and the premise under which they started to begin with. And that context was they weren't looking at the quality or what type of meat and saturated fat, right? So if they're feeding yeah. someone, you know. But also, too, the bottom line is this. Saturated fat is only a problem when it is ingested with a high-carbohydrate diet. And here's the way to look at it in layman's terms. Glucose is a very offensive thing for our bodies to have. Mm. So if you're eating a high-carbohydrate high meal or a high-carb just, you know, lifestyle, then your body's first order of business is to deal with those carbohydrates. And it's not going to be dealing with burning the fat in the way that it should. So mm. essentially, it's eliminating the one factor so that the other factor can get processed and burned and uses energy, et cetera, and not get stored as fat. Mm. It's the other reason to, if drinking wine better to drink alcohol somewhat of an empty stomach other than with a big meal because again your body sees that as such a toxic threat it's going to go deal with the alcohol right away and then it will not be processing the other things will be stored as fat quite quickly so so yes saturated fat can be horrific for people if they eat it in the presence of a high carbohydrate diet it's absolutely 100 percent not the case now 
The bottom line is that our ancestors did not eat more than 80 carbs a day, okay? Most people in this world are eating 300 or over a day, at least 200 and over, most people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to think about this, folks. One bunch of asparagus cooked is 20 carbs. Even mm-hmm. though it's a vegetable, that's 20 carbs. So in a day of 80 or 100, think about that. Most people are overblowing that beyond belief, and that's why people have weight issues and food issues and you know all sorts of stuff. So the fat in itself is not bad. It's bad when you're combining it with other things. Mm-hmm. And right. our bodies are not designed, whether you think they're designed, whether you think it's just an explosion, stardust, aliens, it doesn't matter what your religious or creational beliefs are. Our genetics dictate that we prefer to run on fat as fuel. The only way to do that without dying and getting heart attacks is a low carb in the presence of a low carb paradigm. Right. So and if, you're, if your girlfriend is skeptical, go research Time magazine two years ago on the cover. It said, eat butter. And there's a picture of butter. And it says everything we knew about fat was wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll dig up the article. But the science now, also, is there. The science is there. If she were to really yeah, look at yeah. the science, it's there. It's that the, the um, and also too, doctors don't understand. I won't get into the details right now on this, but a lot of paleo primal physicians really understand this or the low carbers. They understand how to evaluate lipid panels properly. If you're a normal doctor and you saw my lipid panel, you might have a concern about something that my <laughs> primal doctor would not have a concern about. And that's because again, there's these are, and, and Jimmy Moore wrote a great book called Cholesterol Clarity, if anyone really needs to look into that. The funny thing is, is most people with super high cholesterol, when their doctors want to give them statins, the best way to reduce that is to go paleoprimal. And mm. people are like, what? That doesn't make sense. Meat, steak, aren't I supposed to stay away from that stuff? No, you're not actually. <laughs> you're, you're meant to eat it. It's just you've really got to be careful of what you're combining that with. And that means you got to do the low carb. Yeah. Right. We also need to remind people that is like in everything in the world, there's good people, bad people, there's good fats and bad fats. That's right. That's and right. and yeah. people are still confused about that. Uh, for me, in my from my point of view, uh, a pad of, uh, and I'm not taking a pound of butter every day, it's just one pad. So it's like probably what, 10 grams, 10, well, yeah. And a grass-fed butter that is grass-fed, grass-finished butter is 100 times better than um, Crisco, you know, uh, hydrogenated fat. But people do not make, do not know the difference. The same between uh, choosing coconut oil or uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil versus using these highly processed uh, corn oil or you know genetically engineered uh, seeds. So this is something we need to remind remind people. It's yeah, not throw out the vegetable oils. Right. Don't don't <laughs> just use the fat word as one big. No, you need to make the difference between the good fats and the bad fats, and that's what we're trying to do here uh, in the show and with you as well teach people to make the difference between the good and the bad stuff. Well, it's also tough because, you know, you're socially constructed for so many years to think that fat is bad. So when you make this change, it really is this kind of mind F, you know, because Mm -hmm. you're not used to intentionally eating fat or you're told it was bad. So that can be a hard transition for a lot of people. Um, I haven't had anything to eat yet this morning, but normally it's a cup of bone broth with a slab of butter in it. 
Um, oftentimes if I'm in between meals and I need, you know, I don't want to have a full meal because I know I'm eating a couple hours from now, but I need something to hold me over. I will eat a piece of butter right off. Just bite a stick, take a piece, shut it right in my mouth. I'll even take a sip of olive oil. Yeah. People look at that. It's crazy. I go to a restaurant, they give the bread and butter. I go take the bread, leave the butter. And while I'm waiting for my food, I just slice butter and I just literally eat pieces of butter. And people always make comments and it's really funny. I still have people sometimes when I'm getting meat at the cooked meat counter at Whole Foods, if they have ribs, people will go, ooh, aren't those fatty? Or aren't you worried about that? And I always take that as an opportunity to give everyone a lecture on how fat is wonderful and not bad, but that it is bad if you... And, and that being said, you know, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to eat more fat, I'll go paleo. You're going to run into some cholesterol issues if you don't first really lower the carb. You know, you can't, you can't have it both. You can't live a high-carb life some of the time. And then, you know what I mean? You, you have to kind of get with the program first so that your body starts to become trained. Those genetic switches are turned on again where your body is feeling itself and, and using the fat. And that takes, you know, like Mark says, about 21 days to a month or so to really have that kick in. And sometimes, you know, six weeks for someone. Right. Okay. So uh, you mentioned um, uh, before the, the term T3. Mm-hmm. What is it and how does it affect uh, patients? T3 is the one and only most important kind of all we care about thyroid hormone. And T3 is extremely powerful. To explain how powerful this is, if you were to go online and you were to research T3 or Cytomel, which is the brand name for T3, uh, T3 is also called lyothyronine sodium. If you were to Google any of those things, like 1,000 bodybuilding websites would come up. And the reason that's the case is because bodybuilders, not smartly so, and I suggest no one does this because they really can screw their health up this way, but bodybuilders before a competition, when they need to shred as much fat as they can quickly, what they do is they jam themselves, which a bunch of T3, they literally override their own thyroid production. And for about six to eight weeks, will cycle high amounts of T3. They'll also do other things in conjunction with that, but that shreds fat immediately. Hence, when you're hyperthyroid and you're overproducing amounts of T3, you tend to be quite skinny and can't gain weight. At some point, that does backfire because of what that hypermetabolic state does with blood sugar. You can actually be fat and be hyperthyroid with Graves' disease or other things as well. It can actually really screw up your metabolism where you crave so much more food and you're eating more because you're burning more, but then that can be a real bad train as well for weight. Mm. But most of the time, people who are hypothyroid. So T3 is energy. It, it is the fire. It's the, it's the scene. And so a free T3 test is really tells if everybody just sent me their free T3 results, I would pr- be able to give a good impression of how that person's feeling in life. There are more tests than that, and I'll just run them off really quick because doctors give take the wrong tests. So for, for people out there who need to know, the correct initial, there's also lots of other tests you can do, but the correct initial five set of tests that everyone should get to assess thyroid properly are TSH, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, and then two thyroid antibodies tests. Uh, for Hashimoto's, one is called TPO antibody, and the other is TG antibody, or TPOAB, TGAB. That set right there is is a really 
great comprehensive initial blood test to get taken. But so T3 is energy. So when T3 is low, usually the person's not feeling well. We have more T3 receptors in our brain. Often hypothyroid patients not only get depressed, it's not because you've gotten fat and you have low energy. That's part of the depression. The part of the depression is it's really your brain. And one of the things that's really scary, a horrible hypothyroid symptom, and one that's kind of hidden, and that if people are listening, you would know if this is happening to you or a friend, People don't want to admit this one because it's scary. You start to feel like you're getting really dumb. And it's a really awful place to be when you're young because you feel like you're getting old and dumb and you don't understand what's happening in your brain. And the thing is, is that you are, you are accelerated aging in that moment and you don't have enough T3 receptors in your brain as well. So what happens is, for example, when I, if I'm hypothyroid, I'm not, but when I was, I, I, I could mi- I'd mix up my words all the time like a dyslexic. I couldn't focus. I couldn't get the words out. I would read a page, forget it right away. You would tell me something and I would be like almost looking through you. It's a level of brain fog that's beyond just I'm spacey and sleepy. It literally is affecting your cognitive abilities and it's very scary and a lot of people don't want to admit that because they think that something might be wrong with their brain or mm. I had a friend who had some people that were depressed in her family and she felt like, uh-oh, am I becoming them? No, you're not. Just get your thyroid checked. So when anyone's diagnosed with depression, particularly bipolar disorder, um, the thyroid's the first thing to check. It's the root of everything. And you know, every psychologist, every psychiatrist, before ever giving anyone an antidepressant, should check their T3 levels and check their thyroid correctly because actually people treat depression with T3. And that's why when you're seriously hypothyroid, and then let's say you finally get on thyroid hormone, it's like your your brain wakes up. You know, people are like, oh my God, I can think again. I can read a book. I can write. Um, Also hand um, brain dexterity gets really bad too. So often like messy handwriting. Um, I, I list over 30, 40 symptoms in my book from hair falling out to inner itching of the years, but cognitive abilities, brain function and, and how you feel you will also lose interest in life. You will become unmotivated. So if you see friends that are like drop, stop taking care of themselves, like they're, you know, their hygiene or they're not working out or they just seem bored with life or giving up on their dreams, that's another indication that's a little bit subtle that people don't often think is a hypothyroid system. But anything with the brain or depression or emotions absolutely is related. Okay. Thank you, thank you. It's a lot of information. Thank yep, you for sorry. sharing. <laughs> um, and uh, so, in your book, you address medication and supplementation. Um, obviously, we have to be careful with uh, recommending anything because uh, every case is uh, different. But just a, a short review of what medication or supplementation will be. Yeah. You already addressed some of that already, right? Yeah, I already addressed some of the supplementation, you know, which, and there's more, there'll right. be more about that in my book. Um, there's, there's sort of four ways to go about medication. I'll just run them down. Basically, this is what happened. In the 1800s, an English physician was a genius, and he took sheep extract, he like extracted sheep thyroid gland, and he injected into people, and it solved their hypothyroidism. That genius uh, started a whole new trend that is still alive and well today, which is called the treatment of natural desiccated thyroid, essentially chopped up dried pig gland. This is different than what people go to the health food store and they get a glandular. 
That is different. This is USP grade pharmaceutical chopped up pig land. And it is usually the best treatment for patients. What happened was is patients were on this for many years from the late 1800s up until 1950s when drug companies could not patent desiccated thyroid. So they invented something called Synthroid or T4 only. And then what they did is they put propaganda against the natural desiccated thyroid and made Synthroid or T4 only a one-stop shop, one-stop, one-size-fits-all medication requirement. And endocrinologists are usually Synthroid Dotsies. They are T4 only people, and I wouldn't go to them to learn about other treatments. So what happened was, though, is that people who got switched over from the desiccated and were on the T4, then like years later, started to feel sick again. And this whole people happened about 15 years ago from now, where this mass movement came and doctors started to go, I've got all these patients coming to me on Synthroid and they're sick. They're complaining, what's going on? And the smart, awesome, informed doctors who are really great stepped up, looked into it and figured out more information. And they realized that this is kind of a subpar medication that can end up failing people. Mm -hmm. And I won't go into all the reasons why, but if you know anything about thyroid and you're listening, it's because T4 only, our own thyroid glands, pump out T4 and T3. Our bodies don't completely rely on conversion. And to give you a backdrop, T3 again is the only biologically active thyroid hormone we have. However, T4 is the pro hormone. It's a slow release mechanism because T3 is so powerful and the effects on our body is so powerful that we have this wonderful system where the T4 will sense, you know, your body will sense when you need it and it'll convert the T4 into T3 as possible. But you keep pummeling someone with T4 and you're not checking to see, is it converting into the thing that matters? Number one, right? And also our bodies don't totally rely on soul conversion alone. Our bodies kind of pump out about 20% T3 on any given day. So when you're dealing with natural desiccated, you're dealing with T4 and T3 in the same combination. That is usually the most ideal for all patients, whether you do synthetic T3 and synthetic T4 together, whether you do natural desiccated, which comes in very specific amounts. For example, one pill or one grain of natural desiccated thyroid has 38 micrograms of T3 and nine micrograms of, uh, sorry, 38 micrograms of T4 and about nine micrograms of T3 in each pill. Um, Doctors also can compound it down to the microgram for you. You can go to a compounding pharmacy and they can do whatever specific amounts are appropriate for you. So those are the four options. You've got T4 only, then you've got natural desiccated, which is a T4, T3 combo. Then you've got synthetic T4, T3 combo you can use. And then there's one last one, um, which is very rare. It should be used as a last resort. It's something I had to do myself and it's T3 only. That's taking the direct powerful without the conversion. And that is reserved for people who have serious conversion issues or for some reason cannot tolerate T4. Um, But the most ideal is usually a T4, T3 combination. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much. Um, So you obviously follow the paleo diet. Uh, What Is there a thyroid-specific diet that you recommend, or is it just general paleo? General paleo, but if you have, um, and and general paleo meaning the elimination of grains, legumes, and beans, and and honestly, dairy. Now, people ask, they say, oh, what's the difference between primal or paleo or ancestral evolutionary? It's all the same, except for some people feel like primal or primal blueprint, which Mark pretty much coined, you know, that one. 
they, they feel that that's a little bit more lenient, you know, because he will say, all right, you know, have an occasional potato or have an occasional dairy or a drink or chocolate. Some strict paleo people are, are like, I never are going to eat those things. Hmm. My opinion is this. When you are trying to heal from anything, get rid of all of it. Get rid of anything that can potentially cause inflammation. Even if you don't necessarily have an issue with dairy, dairy is somewhat inflammatory for people. And oftentimes, I mean, 65% of the population does have an issue with casein. So that might be something I would eliminate, even if I knew I didn't have a problem with it, just while I was healing. If you have Hashimoto's, you have to be absolutely strict when it comes to grains, beans, and legumes, and you can't even have a cheat because when you ingest gluten, um, the autoimmune inflammatory response can last up to about two months after. And I learned that through Dr. Peter Osborne, who wrote a book called No Grain, No Pain. It's a really great book. And um, so, so you can't just have like a quick cheat while you're trying to heal because that quick cheat could ignite antibodies. Antibodies equal inflammation. And when you have Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune disorder with thyroid, it's even more imperative that you are strict, strict, strict with diet and lifestyle. It's got to be low stress low inflammation on every level. So I would just say that for Hashimoto's patients, it has to be even more strict. If you don't have Hashimoto's and you know that for sure, and you're healing along this way, look, if you want to have a cheat or something, you know, I still suggest, you know, get through the healing process, but that person might have a little bit more leeway fun, you know, with a cheat than someone with Hashimoto's who's trying to heal. And it doesn't mean that someone with Hashimoto's can't ever eat a piece of gluten pizza in their life or have a piece of real bread. It's just that how quickly do you want to get better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm glad that I don't have a thyroid issue because I can't yeah. live without cheese. <laughs> well, the cheese doesn't necessarily like affect, you know, the thyroid negatively. But again, if you are inflamed and you are a disaster, you want to eliminate sugar, dairy and legumes and anything that could potentially cause it, even if um, sometimes you also could be even more sensitive to those things and have a food sensitivity while you're struggling with an autoimmune disorder. Once you clean up that autoimmune disorder, you actually become more tolerant and less allergic to things even too. So that's another reason why I kind of mentioned that because some people with Hashimoto's can get very sensitive and allergic. And then once they fix their thyroid issue, they're all of a sudden not allergic to the things they once were. So. Right, right. Uh, before I forget, before the next question, can you show us the cover of your book? Oh, yeah. Look at that, Paleothyroid Solution. Paleothyroid Solution, it's actually, um, let me be honest with you, I don't know how they do the pricing on this, but it is the cheapest and best thyroid book out there. I actually say that with confidence. <laughs> I've read all of them. Um, it's like $13. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. And it gives everyone the tools they need. The reason, you know, I was trying to find this book when I was suffering. So I wrote the book that I couldn't find, right? And one of the things is all the other thyroid books, in my opinion, a lot of, most of them fail is because they can give me this backdrop philosophy and theory of what we've just touched on a little bit, but then they're not telling me like, well, then what exactly do I do? I not only have dosing protocols on my book for like, here's how you might want to go with your doctor and dose the medication. But I also show before and after stories of people, successful stories, showing the before and after blood work, showing you how to evaluate blood work. It makes no sense if I tell you what tests to get, but then you're like, great. Well, if my doctor doesn't know how to F and evaluate them, how am I going to know whether they're even looking at this right or wrong? And I really needed to arm patients with what I didn't have and with what I would have done had I known what I know now. Not that the information was there. I still might have suffered, but not accepting whatever my doctor just told me. When he said your thyroid was fine, I just was like, I guess it's fine. 
I didn't even know what the thyroid was. I didn't even look at, do you know what I mean? And I can't tell you how right. many people I talk to and they say, I got tested my thyroid, it's fine. Do you even know what that means? 99 plus percent of people that contact me all over the world who are already on thyroid hormone, they don't even know what it does or how it works. So just think about that. You are taking right, right. a pill every day and you have no mm. idea what it is. That has to end for everybody. Right. You gotta learn. So now, not only you educate people, you offer practical solutions. Absolutely. By the way, just and there's to also clarify. A Q in the a, there's also a Q in the a, a Q&A in the back of my book, which is so right. worthwhile, with a primal integrative functional medicine doctor, Dr. Gary Forsman, which is invaluable. And you will hear from a doctor why doctors are ignorant, why they don't get it, why they aren't looking into it, what that culture is. You will hear it from a doctor, you know, so right. you bring my book to your doctor show him parts of the q a with my doctors right. dialogue so right and to clarify things the f stands for fairy right, <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh lastly i think that's going to be my last question on on my side um you also mentioned so exercise and stress management you already told us not to over exercise what is the proper level of exercise and then can you address the stress management issues? I, well, the general rule of thumb for a primal paleo paradigm of a lifestyle is, you know, once every seven days, do something high intensity. Could be a sprint session, could be a high intensity sport, something like that. Um, the rest of the time, you're looking at slow, steady pace. You're looking at exercising under 75% of your max heart rate, or you could just do something where you take 180 and minus your age. And whatever number that is, you don't go over that too much. That will ensure that you're staying in a fat burning zone when you're working out and that you're not burning glucose so that afterwards you're sore, tired, and hungry, and now you're craving sugar. So, and, and it's also a part of stress. You're not igniting the cortisol and the adrenal glands. You are when you sprint, but it's healthy when you get a brief dose of it. The problem is it's the chronic everyday runner who's going way over their max or the chronic crossfitter, someone who is doing high intensity too often, too long. That can really keep you in a sugar burning state. And also it's stressful to the body. The body will see it as a stress and it could cause inflammation. If you're hypothyroid and you're sick and you're trying to get better, I say either no exercise or light walking or extremely light beginner yoga. Um, again, it's a really tough mind thing to get around you just so badly want to lose all this fat you've gained. You feel better after you work out. The only reason you feel better when you're hypothyroid after you work out is because you just had a surge of cortisol, mm -hmm. which is not what you want. <laughs> it's actually not a healthy feeling to have. Mm -hmm. So for hypothyroid patients that are sick, it's time to do nothing or very little. Yeah. And then you can increase it as time goes by. You know, as you get certain levels up or you're on the way to healing, you can increase that. Once you're better, better, you can increase it too. But again, right, right. you don't want to send the message to your body that you're in danger. And over-exercising can kind of send that message. Yeah. Right, right. So on the stretch management side, what would you recommend? Oh, I mean, sleep is, is of the utmost importance. I, don't, I think most people aren't getting enough sleep. You know, you work all day, you've got kids, and then what, you're getting to bed at 12, you're waking up at 6. That's not enough. It's not enough. Um, Sleep is important. Rest is important. I mean, I really do believe, I don't do the OM think about nothing meditation, but I love guided meditations or just 10 minutes of silence with some music, doing some intention practices. There are so many free videos on YouTube for guided meditations and other things that can put someone in a relaxed state. 
The other thing too is to be aware of small little dumb things. Like you're driving in the car, someone cuts you off. All of a sudden you have this surge of cortisol. You know, you can feel it. We all do. We all have the same thing. It's that, that initial reaction. Now, you can continue that surge of cortisol by yelling back at the guy, being frustrated for the next few minutes. Maybe you call a friend, this guy just... All that stuff, you're just creating more of that. So even in scenarios, it could be a call from an ex-husband's lawyer, whatever it is, when you feel that surge, it's time to go, I know it's happening in my body. Let's calm it down and send it the right message right now. Because it's falsely in fear, right? Mm -hmm. So the guy cut you off. Nothing actually happened. It was a moment, but it was just a moment. But how Mm -hmm. long do you want to let that moment last? Because that cortisol is going to surge for about 10 minutes anyway after an event like that. So there's events like that all over the place, right? Uh, A yucky Thanksgiving with a family member, you know, like whatever the stressful, whatever you're feeling not happy or annoyed or any of that stuff, that's still stress. And that is still your body is surging cortisol. Every thought is related to what is released. What thoughts are you thinking? And I have a whole chapter in a section of my book on that about how we look at one's thoughts and the way we think about things and how we can start to train our minds, you know? Um, yeah, I think from my point of view also, maybe from a French point of view, is that uh, learn to appreciate uh, nature, beautiful things around you. Uh, take up a hobby that will keep your mind off of problems. Uh, gardening is a wonderful one. I yeah. personally don't like gardening, but I know some people just, they could not live without gardening. Um, yeah. <clears throat> whatever your hobby is, that's a that's a way to de-stress as well, because all your mind is completely off the problems. Even so getting a pet, petting a cat, petting an animal yeah. can just be yeah. a de-stressor. Um, not hanging out with certain people. How about cutting people out of your life and um, avoiding scenarios that you know are going to be contentious or getting out of those type of relationships as well? Anything that's toxic that way. Mm, um, right. it, you so. can really train yourself to not necessarily, it's not that necessarily the things aren't going to pop up and you might initially react, but you can control the length of that reaction and that is going to help mm. someone's health. Absolutely. Now, there's a big one lately is all these. Uh, talks about politics and the uh, different yeah. sides Ooh, arguing with each surging. other. That's yeah. <laughs> well, no, there are a lot of we'll people. The doctor, on my, the doctor on my book said he had a lot of patients come in, anxiety issues, lots of stuff. I'm sure that that's happening a lot, like through this whole election period and now people in yeah. fear or whatnot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, Mark, it's your turn. Yeah, I want to dive straight in because I, I know in many areas there's a, a misconception that thyroid issues are really just a woman's problem yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah they're not are they obviously you know they're not but the reason it gets that bad rap is because it is predominantly and disproportionately a women's disease it is actually one out of every eight women in their lifetime will have a thyroid disorder and so it is however men do have it i've met many men who have thyroid issues I don't think it's necessarily overlooked. I just think they're often not a part of the conversation. And mm-hmm. most of the books are geared towards females because that really is the, the, the predominant audience. Um, but absolutely, they are not immune to it. And, you know, if anyone has it in their family, it's really a time to get checked anytime. If you know people, that if it, run, it usually can run rampant in families, you know, so that that's... Yeah, that's where that goes. But women are unfortunately more susceptible to it for whatever reasons, and it's disproportionately a women's disease. Yeah. Do you think that man? 
do you think that men are shy from uh, being checked because it's not mature or it's not um, a manly thing to, to approach the tire problem? I'm not sure. Every doctor should be taking the six tests I mentioned to you earlier for every patient. <laughs> you should rule, rule this out for every patient because whatever ailment they have is going to be related to thyroid if their thyroid screwed up, no matter what the ailment is. So it's a way to just, you know, weed it out initially for everybody. Everybody should get tested for this. Um, I think doctors might not think thyroid right off the bat with the guy that's complaining of low energy. But if there's any man out there who's complaining of low energy, low sex drive, um, because hypothyroidism would reduce testosterone levels, you're going to want to get the tests I just told you to take. And also you're going to want to get like free testosterone and total testosterone if you're a guy. Um, sometimes men will actually, unfortunately, start to get boobs, not <laughs> substantial ones, but enough where it would be little bit of a fatty chest for a guy that wouldn't be right sex drive would go down energy would really and that's usually because of lowered testosterone guys would be super tired not able to recover um after exercise for probably a couple of days you'd be really worn out that's a that's a sign for guys the other symptoms also fall in into play with men but men are often warmer in general than females so mm -hmm. the cold thing might not work there but you will notice it with energy brain fog cognitive functions energy levels and weight. But if that weight's not the thing, it's going to be the brain, the depression, the thinking and the energy right. for a guy. But just, just to come back to that one last time, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, one in eight women may well have a problem with thyroid. What is the figure for In their lifetime, yeah. Yeah. What is, what's the figure for men? I don't know, actually. Mm. That's a good question. I'm not mm. sure what the statistics are, to be honest with you. I just know that for it's just such a, it's like one in eight women at one point in their life mm. will have a thyroid disorder or that's been shown to be the case. And oftentimes what happens with women, it can happen after a couple of pregnancies. They can swing either way. And of course, because, you know, adjustment and hormone stress, of course, you can imagine all of those factors involved in, you know, giving birth and then bringing up a child. So that can be a tricky soup for women to be under and probably a, a really good time to make sure all the nutrients are there yeah. yeah so do you think that postpartum depression could be a thyroid issue then i 100 percent think it could be related there's no question about it yeah oh, okay well it's good to know because uh my ex-wife used to have that and uh, we I, didn't I know think it I think it could be a real issue. I mean, it's not just a drop in the other hormones that have surged, you know, and are now at zero levels. But again, often women do become hypothyroid after a pregnancy. And so that would absolutely make you seriously depressed and detached and overwhelmed and wanting to even give up. I mean, it it's um it's a really horrible place to be when you have no control over your mind and your body. And you don't know what's wrong with you because doctors have told you you're fine. <laughs> and now people think you're crazy. And you know, it's crazy making. It really is. And it's, it's horribly lonely. You know, I, I live for two years inside of my apartment just crying every day, several times a day. You, it's not that you are got, like when people, normal, when normal people gain a little extra weight and it's uncomfortable, that's not what hypothyroidism is. Hypothyroidism is you can't even deal with being in your own skin. And I don't even know how I could impart that to you if you haven't experienced it, but people who have it understand this. It's every time you bend your leg, you feel like you drank a bottle of MSG. It's 
just skin, you get skin thickening called myxedema. Your skin thickens. Um, you have puffy, bloated eyes and face. I mean, your hair is falling out. Uh, you have acne. I mean, you're just a mess. And it's, it's horribly depressing. You don't want to be around anybody. Um, you really can't talk to people. You don't have a, a good wherewithal. You often are testy and emotional because of the adrenals. So you're oversensitive to light, to sounds, to smells. I couldn't even deal with music at all when I was hypothyroid. I would go into someone's car, they'd have music playing, and I'd be like, ah, like nails on a chalkboard. I couldn't even smell perfume or wear perfume when I was hypothyroid. It, 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 it made me sick. And I love essential oils and perfumes and all that kind of stuff. Um, sensitivity to light, just cannot, could not even handle light. Those are usually adrenal related, but those, those often happen. So what you've got there is a very sensitive, depressed person who has no idea what's wrong with them and is likely being mistreated or undertreated. And now they're getting fired or now their husband's divorcing them or now. And I have letters in my book to employers, to husbands, to partners of people with hypothyroidism because it's really important to explain to them, you know, what's going on and what has happened because you do become a different person. And then the husband or the wife's going, I don't even know who this person is that I married. And they're going, I don't even know what's wrong with me, but they've been steadily declining and they've sort of become this person. It seems like this is what they have become. They are not that they are currently that, but it is absolutely fixable and you will come back to life once this mm. gets fixed and it is fixable. And I want everyone to know out there because doctors are idiots and will say things like, Oh, well, you'll always have to deal with X because you have hypothyroidism. That is not true. That is a lie. And anyone who tells you that you run, you run to mm. another, you run to another doctor. Super job. Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, one of the biggest downfalls that people have is not getting fat adapted. Yeah. What are your five top tips for people to make sure they get fat adapted when they start this type of lifestyle? Mm. Well, um, it's tough. I mean, it's all of the paleo primal principles. I would say right off the bat, if you're a somewhat tall, big dude, I would say you don't ever eat more than 150 carbs a day um, unless you're a bricklayer or an athlete. If you're a small woman like myself, because I'm 5'2", you're looking at starting off at 100 or less carbs a day. It has to start there. It's got to start with the carbs. And what my biggest thing is you start to learn what is what with carbs. Like I now know that a package of blueberries, small package of blueberries, probably like 15 carbs or handful. You know, I mean, I kind of know this now because I've looked them up. It's important that you initially start to train yourself on that. It's not about hitting macros or calories, but it is about looking at the carbs. So my big tip is start to learn everything you're putting in your mouth and it's carb content. Hmm. Because people go, I thought vegetables were free. Though. I thought I could eat all the vegetables I want. Again, 20 carbs and a bunch of asparagus. I don't know about you guys, but if I have a side of asparagus, sometimes it's often a bunch of asparagus. It's that much asparagus and there's 20 carbs. Well, in a day of 60 or 80, if you're living a lower carb paradigm, that's got it. You got to really factor that in. One, one, you know, juice from somebody and they just blew the whole day. Three mm. pieces of sugared mango. Now you're at 38 carbs. So what are you going to do with the rest of your day there? You've got to learn that and so i think that's the biggest challenge for people i would say you look at the carbs and those are the basic paradigms start with under 150 if you're a dude and you're active if you're a non-active guy start with no more than 120 carbs a day if you're an active female start with 100 carbs a day and adjust from there if you're a non-active female you might need to go lower like 70 or 80 carbs a day um that's one tip the other tip is 
to get with the program when it comes to exercising under your max heart rate and not being in a glucose burning state. Mm-hmm. The overexercising can keep one in the glucose burning state and keep craving that. If you're trying to make the transition, you've really got to look at either getting a, um, I use, uh, and I'm not, I, I'm not sponsored by them or anything, but I use a, 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 a continuous heart rate wristwatch, you know, monitor. And you, you know, I used to haul ass up my hikes when I was hiking and I was over my max heart rate. No wonder I was always sore and hungry after and tired after my workouts. I literally had to slow my pace down. And at first it seems very weird because <laughs> again, it's like the socially constructed, the harder you work, the more results you'll get, the more I sweat, the more I'm going to burn this fat, hot yoga five days a week, that has to be a fat burner. Actually, it's not. It's a fat maker. It's a cortisol inducer. It's, it's actually the opposite. So, you know, those are some tips right there. You got to really learn. And, you know, anyone can go to theprimalblueprint.com, look at Mark's Daily Apple. You can learn how and all the nuances of getting fat adapted for free on there. Um, But it, it, it starts pretty much with the carbs, I think. The other the other trick, though, is people often feel that this is a high meat diet, and so when in doubt and they start, they just go for meat. That's also a fail because people don't realize that excessive meat consumption turns into glucose, mm-hmm. and so uh, you've got to be careful there, and that was a mistake I made. I was still overeating protein for quite a while. Um, as a basic, if, if you're a guy... And, and you've got some muscles, you're looking at probably no more than 120 grams of protein a day. And if you're a small female like myself, like to under 5'4", you might be looking at 40 to 60 grams of protein a day. It's not a lot. It's a lot less than what I used to eat. I used to eat a whole entire eight ounce steak, have no problem. I used to, and now I can't even eat that much, but it really is also about paring down over time. You will end up eating less food overall because you will become calorically efficient. And that's why whatever you start out with eating and whatever you're doing will not sustain itself. It becomes intuitive and you start to tinker over time. And, and that's really, it's, it's actually the really cool thing about it. Yeah. So you, you basically adapt it to your own personality, your own body's way of digesting, digesting and your own physical needs as well. Yeah. You'll get to a point where you know, what do I need right now? I do. I need an apple, you know, or you'll know, actually, I need some fat. I need some fat. Yeah. Um, and that takes a while. You don't get to that intuitive level right away. Maybe not even in the first year. Um, it just depends, but it, the first effort is willpower when it comes to the food, which is hard for a lot of people. And in the first two weeks can be rough when your brain is addicted to glucose. It's like a crack addict. It's once it, it's going to mess you up. It's, you're going to be tired. People have some drops of energy. Some people have no problem right away. I did have an issue. I was a serious sugar burner and I had a tough two weeks. I really did. The first two weeks was tough and then the light went on. Then I wasn't hungry and it was amazing. And I'm, I've been fully fat adapted ever since. It's, um, that's a sense of freedom. I never imagined. And that's where all of our success stories, you know, at Primal Blueprint, every single one of them, it doesn't matter if they lost a hundred pounds or fixed or cured a skin disease. Everybody is like, thank God I'm not food obsessed anymore. Yeah, I'm not a food addict anymore. Oh my God, I can't even believe I don't think about food anymore. That to me is the biggest benefit of yeah. all time, of all time. And the freedom it gives you for not feeling like you have to be near food or eat every three, four or five hours, even every eight hours. I could, I could right now, I could right now probably just go all day long, not eat a thing and be totally fine. Mental energy, no drops in blood sugar. I've done it before. Mm-hmm. Um, being a 
fat burn, when you're a sugar burner, no way, you, no way you can do it. You'll, you'll no. lose it. You'll, you will absolutely get hangry, hungry, cranky, brain's going to be starving, can't focus, drop in energy. I never get that. Mm. No. No, it, it, is a, it is a great release, isn't it? Just oh. being, a, being in control of your body again. It's wonderful. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's, uh, I, you know, I wish I had known what I know now. You know, and no one really was doing paleo anywhere, you know, 13 years ago anyway. So I don't know that I would have found this information. Um, <clears throat> but to, long story short, I was on two different, I had two different bouts of hypothyroidism over 10 years. One was a reverse T3 situation, which is on the rise. That's a conversion problem. Both times I fixed myself. And I published the book September of 2016. We are now in April of 2017. I have been off all thyroid hormone for the first time in 13 years for the past two and a half months. It was a total accident, um, but it proved my point even further, <laughs> which I did not expect. It's very unlikely that after 13 years of suppressing one's own thyroid with exogenous thyroid hormones, that it would come back to life. Mine has. If I've even proven my own book more than I ever thought I could have, it's right in this moment. I thought I would be on thyroid hormone replacement forever. And again, I haven't, I haven't even written about this yet. It, if I do a second edition of my book, I will put this whole experience in there. But that's been a miraculous thing. So even though I'm not expressing it right now, I cannot tell you I'm crying out of gratitude almost every day for the past two and a half months that I cannot believe that my own thyroid function came back. But it goes to show you <laughs> that if you, especially if you give it to yourself, you know, especially if you are self-induce a hypothyroid state, you, you can turn it around even after mm. 13 years. Um, that being said, there is nothing wrong with being on thyroid hormone replacement. You can live an absolutely normal, perfectly normal life. So mm. there's nothing wrong with it. And, um, but I just happen to have gotten off all thyroid hormones and my thyroid um, has been tested and it's working correctly. I'm doing one more last thing, which is um, I did a heavy metals test and I had high levels of mercury, which that's a metabolic disruptor and a mitochondrial, uh, you know, mess arounder. So I am going to go through a natural sort of supplementation collation process right now to get rid of that one last thing that we haven't, we haven't done yet with my doctor. So other than that, though, I'm off thyroid hormones. It's amazing how your body can heal itself, but I believe it's because I worked so hard to heal all of the underlying things. Yeah. So that by the time this accident happened, uh, my body was ready to, you know, had that supporting underlying soup for my thyroid. And so right now I am an example of <laughs> that I didn't think I'd be. Um, mm -hmm. Just because usually, again, when you're on thyroid hormone for a very long time, it's, it's, it's almost like this has become comatose, it's unlikely that it wakes up, but it's possible, obviously. So that's the great news. And so I hope to talk and write more about that as well. Yeah, excellent. I've got two more questions. Yeah. First one is out of what you've just said. Yeah. Um, we've already looked at some of the causes, the poor diet and so forth of an impaired thyroid function. Mm -hmm. Are there any other things such as um, yes. you know, chemicals that you might find in the environment if you're a farmer or somebody like that, mm -hmm. you're in heavy yeah. industry surrounded by chemicals? Um, I don't know, cell yep. tower radiation, all those type of things. The cell tower radiation, I'm not so sure. I'm sure there's some theories about that. You're absolutely right about pesticides. I mean, you know, Roundup that's in vaccines, all this kind of stuff. Um, any kind of pesticides can be metabolic disruptors and just hormone disruptors. Here's other things that can affect thyroid function. Candida overgrowth often happens with sugar addicts and sugar burners and, and women. 
Candida will do it. Candida can mimic symptoms of hypothyroidism by having brain fog, depression, general malaise, lack of energy, inability to lose weight. Low serotonin, um, that can be increased naturally as well. Um, the other thing too are any infectious diseases. So for example, Lyme's disease, a horrific stressful event in life uh, uh let's say your husband just lost his legs in an accident something like hor- anything like that could absolutely throw off your thyroid um in a, when you're in a stressful state or if you're in a chronic state of inflammation so if you have lyme disease or you have some chronic infection like cancer or anything like that can absolutely mess up thyroid function because again your body's trying to save your life and so it's like, hey, we're already dealing with this inflammatory problem over here. We don't need to up this metabolic, you know, put mm, more yeah. fire into this system. Um, let's see what other things can affect it. Um, heavy metals as well. So heavy metals, mold. You know, there are people, Dave Asprey, Bulletproof, and a couple other people I know have had their thyroids affected negatively and have gotten thyroid problems by being exposed to mold in places where they lived, of which they did not know. Mm. Um, that is another that's another one, Epstein-Barr. Again, these are all treatable and solvable, and often they are by getting rid of the sugar. <laughs> mm. You know, you can fix up candida in five, six weeks if you do it right, and you starve yourself of sugar, dose some oregano oil, do some new probiotics. You can you can wipe out some candida really quick, but that mm. takes willpower. And if you're a real heavy sugar addict, that's going to have to be dealt with. Yeah, a lot of women have candida. I did too, and I had to really resolve that. I have a big, uh, a big one that uh, maybe we should address. Uh, what about the effects of radiation coming from Fukushima? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that mess with the thyroid as well? Radiation in general does. So, for example, when someone has Graves' disease, which is the overactive autoimmune, if it can't be controlled through diet and medication, they often will zap with radiation the thyroid, um, mm. essentially killing it or, or lessening it. So yes, radiation affects thyroid negatively. Um, So also do I want to put a warning out there about iodine. So oftentimes patients will look up hypothyroidism online, they'll see that iodine is a factor and then they will go out by iodine, take iodine. Don't do that because you can ruin your thyroid, screw up a thyroid problem you already have. The only levels of iodine anyone probably listening needs is the basic tiny 125 micrograms in a multi or sea vegetables or seafood, etc. So you can get your iodine that way, but do not take it unless you know for sure you have a deficiency. The only real way to discover that is through a 24 hour iodine loading test where you basically urinate into a jar for an entire day after taking an iodine pill. That's really the only proper way to assess. Most people are not iodine deficient. A lot of people think that they are and jump there. So I want to just put a warning. Yes, nuclear radiation. I'm not sure about anything blowing over the Pacific Ocean. How is that being dissipated, if anything? Is it getting locked into flora and fauna of nearby 20,000 islands in the Pacific? I have no idea. Can they see it on a radar? Is it hitting the beach in Malibu? Yes. I don't. Yes. These are things yeah. I don't know. So I cannot really speak yeah. to that. I personally uh, worried about myself. Right. According to some people, it is already reaching the, the west coast of America and is polluting the sea, including the fish in the sea. Mm-hmm. And so. Typically, people to counter that will take uh, additional iodine to counter the radiation, which will possibly uh, mess up with the thyroid even more, right? It just depends on the level of iodine. Like, again, a a real... So, an innocuous amount would be like if you go get kelp drops or you have iodine in a supplement, it's usually in micrograms. 
it's when you go to milligrams and high doses that that mm. you're that you're going to have a problem. So I just take a minimum effective dose of iodine. And again, I'm not sure. You make your own decision. If you feel like extra iodine is needed for you because of Fukushima, I'd love to see what my doctor has to, the doctor on my book has to say about that. So I'll ask him next time I see him if he really feels a problem. I do know residents here that have said that and feel like, oh, it's coming. And I don't know. Is it, is it, is it hype? Is it really true? Hmm. I, I don't have an opinion right now. I should probably look more right. at it. Okay. It's not screwing up my thyroid right now. We know that. So at least <laughs> I do live near the water. So if anything, it's healing it. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yours is recovering. So that's yeah. Cool. Maybe Fukushima is you know like did a reverse, <laughs> reverse. Now you've you've given us a huge amount of information today. Oh, um, good. Many of the questions I had written down, you answered as we as we were going through. So that you know it says to me you really know what you're talking about. <laughs> Where can people get more information about you? Do you have a website? Are you on Facebook and that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to contact me, I always send email back everybody who's looking for thyroid help, a huge list of free resources. So you don't even have to buy my book. If you just want to contact me through my website, which is lruss.com, E-L-L-E-R-U-S-S.com, just contact me through there. And I send everybody, you know, here's where to find the right doctor. Here's the right blood test. You know, here's some free podcasts. So you don't even need to buy my book. Um, to, to, to get some really, to get on the right path. Um, but if you do want to buy my book, amazon.com, um, it's at Barnes and Noble stores all over the country, Target and some other places. Uh, but yeah, you can go to amazon.com and buy it directly from there. It's, um, available. Can you show it to us again? Sorry, what? Can you show it to us again? Oh yeah. The paleothyroid solution. Um, and my website is just lrust.com and you can find it on yeah, Amazon, and there's also great editorial reviews on Amazon from all of the paleo primal people as well in the industry, so you can read reviews and um, take a look at it before you buy it. But if you don't even want to buy it and you just want some initial info, contact me. And my thing is that I spend so much money and time struggling to get the right answers, and I suffered. I suffered, and I had to pay mm. medical bills and surgery bills for things that I never needed to even get. So yeah. for me, yes, while we all want to sell books, that's great. For me, it's about getting free information to everybody as much as I can. And so I, I send everybody a substantial email with really good, juicy stuff to get right. them on the right place to educate themselves. And so anybody's free to contact me about that. Yeah, that regarding sense. this, uh, I, I, I have a practical as you know, with Obamacare, some people <laughs> cannot afford to even get the test done because uh, tests are so expensive. <laughs> um, how do you address, because I suspect a lot of people are affected also on the lower income level and they cannot afford either reasonable or good quality insurance or they cannot afford the deductibles on some of these uh, Not necessarily you know. at all. Actually, there's no. Um, well, well, there's. The, there's no income level average for hypothyroid patients. They run from extremely wealthy people <laughs> to, you know, listen. Um, there's I, there's a lot of wealthy people in this town that I know have suffered, and they've gone to like thousands of dollars of all the best doctors. So it really doesn't matter about income. It's not about that. But because people keep getting the wrong care, they end up having to spend all of this money out of pocket that they never expected to, and then they kind of become broke trying to get better. That happens mm -hmm. a lot. Um, there, that's a really good question because there are, depending on what state you live in, for example, if you live in New Jersey, I don't think they allow you to test your own blood work. But in California and other states, I literally can go online 
to directlabs.com or privatemdlabs.com. I can order whatever tests I want. They email me the form. I walk into a lab down the street. I get the results emailed to me a couple days later. Done. No insurance, no nothing. Sometimes it's even cheaper mm-hmm. because uh, let's say a ferritin test might be $50 if you go buy it on your own. But when you see the billing of the insurance company for that on like, and then you only pay maybe, you know, so what's worth it? Is it worth using up that one or two appointments you have with your doctor? I suggest to people if they can afford it, you know, go get tested on your own and then you can bring that around to various doctors who, you know, because otherwise you have to wait for each doctor. They take the test, they take the wrong tests. Um, So yes, you can do it on your own. Um, And there are deals through StopTheThyroidMadness.com, which is the, probably the best thyroid uh, website. She's a fellow thyroid author as well who wrote a book of the same name. And she has a lot of great deals under labs on her website for getting thyroid comprehensive panels at a discount. So that's cool. a way to do it. And then Private MD Labs is one of my favorites because I am always emailed 15% off coupon codes constantly and there's always a coupon code. So you know, you can you can get a full thyroid panel and and some good stuff done for you know under a hundred and for two hundred you can get a lot. Sometimes that's better than the appointment, the copay, the dealing with the insurance, the paperwork. You know, frankly, right. sometimes no. it's there. Yeah, that's that's a great solution because uh, I know that uh, uh, when when I go do my checkup review and they do a a panel, a blood mm-hmm. test. They charge, I mean, literally, I've seen the bill because I always request yeah. all uh, copies of the document. They charge $1,500 to the insurance company. Yep. And I'm going, if I didn't have that one free checkup, I could never afford to pay for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, then I'm sure that I'm not the only person that is in that situation. Well, here's the thing. Even if you do, like I did, you go to all these doctors, you utilize all this insurance. I still spent $50,000 of my own money and I never got better until I did it myself without mm-hmm. a doctor. Right. So I'm not suggesting people do that, clearly. Right, right. Uh, and I, I make that very clear in my book. However, mm-hmm. there's a lot of patients that have had to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, It's I'm also, this, this is also a very important point that we should address uh, and then you you mentioned it through is that people need to stop rely only on doctor's opinion and you need to take charge of their own health unfortunately a lot of people give away all their power to the doctors or medical establishment and they'll just say yes doctor whatever you say doctor instead of going and god knows the information is available and educate themselves and do what's best for them and not what's best for the medical establishment, which is money. I've also known patients that have the money and could go out of their HMO to get to the right doctor, but they just can't seem to get around paying beyond what they're already, the company's already providing. That is such a wrong way of looking at things. How much is your health worth? Most people would say any amount of money, invaluable. Well, guess what? Start acting like it then. Start acting like it. Um, I made a mistake too. Um, I made the mistake when the doctor, when I I started, my first problems were gaining weight, freezing, and I I got my period all the time. The doctor just kept putting me on birth control pills as a Band-Aid to that symptom, you know, not testing my thyroid. He was testing my thyroid incorrectly, told me I didn't have a thyroid problem. So in that case, I suffered for two years because 
he didn't ask the question, what is making this 30-year-old with perfect health history in her family all of a sudden have her period every week? And I wasn't asking it either. Mm-hmm. So it's time to step up and it's time to get to the root of problems. And I would venture to anyone, for those people out there who listen to their doctors and don't do anything else, how's that working? Because I know a lot of people on that train, they don't look well to me. They're not doing well. They're on medications for this, that, and the other, and things that could be adjusted by diet, like gout and other things like that. You know what I mean? So if you go to a doctor nowadays, and Dr. Forsman says this in the back of my book, when you go to a standard HMO or regular PPO doctor who spends 15 minutes with you because that's what they're allotted, you are looking to get a prescription or surgery. That's it. If you're looking for nutritional advice or anything outside the bounds of prescription, you're the idiot. Joke's on you. You got it. You got to step outside. If you want full comprehensive care, you have to pay for it out of pocket often. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And what happens is if you don't go there first and you do all this other stuff, you get sick through all this whole train of going through all these dumb, uninformed doctors. And so by the time you even end up to the right doctor that you should have spent the money on in the first place, now you've got multiple problems, even more. Thank God you finally ended up at a doctor who might be able to fix them, but now you've got three or four more problems going on. So I just say avoid all of it and get to the right doctors right off the bat. There's a way, and I talk about it in my book as well, there's a way to suss out whether a doctor knows what they're talking about. There is with thyroid. Don't waste the appointment. Don't waste the drive to the doctor, the copay, the blah, blah, blah. Don't waste your time. Um, By calling ahead of time and asking some questions, you can absolutely avoid this or make it a certainly much more shorter list. Yeah. Super job. Well, I'm conscious of the time, Ellen. I think we've taken up a huge amount. You've given us a huge amount. Thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. So, Ellen, I think we should do the close. Okay. Did you want to add any last uh, um, your wisdom, uh, anything to encourage people to take care of themselves? Oh, just don't give up. You know, don't ever give up. You keep persevering. You keep looking for the answers. You keep going. You'll find it. That's how I am where I am right now. And I did not expect to be here. Um, uh, While I'm a writer, I never expected to write this nonfiction book. I'm so grateful that my suffering feels a little bit more worth it now that I've helped so many others. And I just want everyone to know out there suffering. You just don't give up. There is a fix to this. Do not go oh well i guess i'm hypothyroid oh well i'm fat oh well i'm this no if you're not feeling totally awesome in every way there's adjustments to be made whether it's to your medication or to your doctor or to your diet but it's fixable so i just don't want anyone out there to think that this is their lot in life and it's not fixable it's um i went from absolutely horrific misery to i mean i feel great all the time so Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that information with us and our listeners. And it's very much appreciated. So um, thank you for coming on the Local Paleo Show. And like we say in Texas, a votre santé, y'all. Ah, yeah. Votre santé, y'all. Yep, they say that all the time in Texas. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Texas are you guys going to? I don't know. I don't know. Thanks again, Al. It's been lovely. Thank you very much.